Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in the Gospel of John. You may be familiar with the Talking Heads song. Uh, You may not know it, but I'm going to read you the words. I'm not going to sing it because that would be distressing for everyone. The song, I think, has a bit of irony to it. Well, we know where we're going, David Burns sings, but we don't know where we've been. And we know what we're knowing, but we can't say what we've seen. And we're not little children, and we know what we want. And the future is certain. Give us time to work it out. We're on the road to nowhere. That song, to me, sums up a sort of um, indecision and uncertainty mixed with a sort of arrogance of humanity that we think we know where we're going, but actually we don't know where we're going. We think we know what we are. We're not little children, but actually we can't really work it out. And I want to ask ourselves that question uh, in this study. Where are we going? And does it matter if we don't know? And where have we come from? And what difference might it make if we knew where we'd come from? Now, the reason I'm asking all of those questions is it comes out of the next bit of John that I want to draw your attention to. The last two studies have been stuck in John 8, 12, fantastic verses about what it means to follow Jesus. And verse 13 is the next verse. The Pharisees challenged him, challenged Jesus. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. They're saying, look, we can't listen to you because the only recommendation is coming from you. And uh, it's your word against everybody else's, so we can't believe in you. And then Jesus answers that by saying something quite unusual. He says, um, Even if, this is John 8, verse 14, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. Now, how on earth does this make Jesus more believable? Um, Why is he say, you can believe in me because I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going? In one sense, his answer doesn't make him any more believable or not believable. What he's trying to say to them is that he has a profound awareness of who he is, of his origins and of his purpose and of his destiny. And what comes out in other parts of this chapter and other parts of John's gospel is that he is proclaiming himself to be pre-existent. He is saying, I lived before I came to earth. Now, that's a remarkable claim. So we read these words in John 6, 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven. That was not the understanding of where humanity comes from. He has come in a different form to human beings. Again in John 6, at these the Jews were began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They're saying, Look, we know this human being. How can he say that he is pre-existent? How can he say that he came down as a uh, a, a, um, as a, 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 a being? Born in that stable, how can he say that that has come about? 
Now, what Jesus is really saying by using this idea of being pre-existent, of having, having a consciousness before he was uh, implanted in Mary's womb, what he is saying is that he is either eternal, in other words, he's either God, or he is some divine significant messenger, that he was an angel. And so there are streams of religion that say, well, Jesus was an angel, a messenger of God. But even uh, in John 8, we read these words. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. John 10, 30, I and the father are one. John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? So Jesus, in his proclamation that he is pre-existent, is ruling out the idea that he's a messenger because he's saying, look, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God. If you've seen God, you've seen me. I and God are the one. So when Jesus says to these people who say, how do we believe you? It's only your word. His answer doesn't, in one sense, logically answer their question. He says, look, I know where I've come from. And I know where I'm going, which we'll come on to in a moment. He is saying that he is eternal, that he is God. So either he is mad, or he was fundamentally bad and manipulative, or he was genuine. And that's always been the question with Jesus, that all of us have to weigh up and come to our own conclusions about. His ideas are so incredible his declarations about himself are so remarkable. He is not a prophet. He is not an angel. He is either mad, bad, or genuine. And there are lots of reasons that we've talked about before and what we can talk about in other studies as to why I think he's genuine. And we'll look at more of the implications of him saying, I am the Father, are one, in a future study. But what I want to look at for the rest of this study is the implications for you and I that Jesus knows where he was coming from and where he was going. Because I believe the awareness that he had come down from heaven leads to certain understandings in the way Jesus lives that then I want to apply to you and I. You see, his, his awareness that he had come from heaven means he was acutely aware of his mission and purpose. He had come to seek and to save the lost. He had come to die as the Lamb of God. He had come to conquer death and rise, having been crucified. He knew all of that. And so him saying, I've come down from heaven, is him saying in part, this is my mission and purpose. I am not an accident. I am not somebody who's decided to do these things. This was the very reason I have come to earth. So his awareness of his origin helps him uh, be clear on his mission and his purpose. It also gives him his identity and his value. He is divine. He is God in human form. He is uh, the Father among us. And that, uh, you know, Isaiah says, he will be called the everlasting Father. He understands who he is. And he understands his value as the beloved Son of God. He understands his importance and his significance. He also understands his abilities. He understands his strengths. He understands what he can do. And he understands his authority and his power to accomplish what he's been called and sent to do. Now, 
I want to then ask us, you and I, a question, which is this. Do we know where we've come from? Now, of course, there are all kinds of answers you could uh, come to, uh, give me on that. I'm not suggesting that any of us are pre-existent. We're different to Jesus. We're fundamentally different to Jesus. Our origin is the breath of life that the creator God has breathed into us. I don't want to go into a biology lesson, but our mothers and fathers uh, have created us, but they also created lots of different eggs and sperms and so on and so forth. And yet you and I have survived. And I believe it's because God has breathed and chosen to breathe life into us. What does that mean for us? that whatever the origins of the relationship between our mother and father, whether good or bad, whether accidental or planned, God has breathed life into us. We are significant. He has chosen us to survive the great uh, conception roulette. He has chosen us to live. He's given us breath. So in answering the question, where have we come from? We've come from the invitation of God to live. And I want to ask in a moment what that means for us. But secondly, I think it's important for us to understand where we've come from in the sense of knowing the experiences that have shaped us, what has made us who we are today, the things that are unique to us our childhood, our uh, background, even the way our grandparents and great-grandparents, the ethos, the, the dynamics of our family. These things will have shaped us. They will have made us who we are. And it's good to be able to recognize what has impacted us. And lastly, what are the ideas that have influenced us? What have we heard what have we been taught? What have we seen modeled? What have we experienced that has shaped who we are? And so if we are aware of where we come from, how might that help us? To understand that God has chosen us with breath means that there is a mission and a purpose for our life. And do we know why God created humanity and why he's given us life? Do we know why we live? I think it can be put and explained in lots of different ways, but one of the ways that's most helpful for me to understand is that God created you and I to love. He created us to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor, and that everything that our whole humanity is moving towards is how we might love God and our neighbor. And those two things are the same things unpacked. You cannot... Uh, love God and hate your neighbor. As we love and care for God and people, we are fulfilling the reason he gave us breath. And when we seek not to do that, when we try to live a life that's self-centered, that's removed from God, that doesn't honor him or seek his voice into our life, that doesn't seek to lift or care for our neighbor, then we're not living as we were created to be and therefore life becomes hard and frustrating and unfulfilling. God has given breath to us. And he's given us gifts and opportunities to love. And it's good to recognize that and be aware of that. 
And if we know where we've come from, we can also work out our identity. I think this, a few years, maybe months ago, about last year, I was speaking around about identity and I began to shift what I thought about identity. I think I would have always said prior to that that my identity was as a child of God. And I think that's really helpful. And for many of you, if you said, what is your identity? You would say, I'm a child of God. I've been adopted into his family. I am loved as a child of God. And that is absolutely true. And that's a really helpful identity to have. But I think if you asked me who I was, I think I would change in line with the way the Apostle Paul describes himself again and again in the way he introduces himself in the letters that he writes. And he describes himself as a servant of God. And uh, I think I'm moving towards that being my identity. This is who I am. This is how I've been created to be. Yes, I've been created to be a child of God, but not just a child, to serve the living God and to give all of my breath and life, my consciousness, my resources, my gifts, my experience, my time, all of that to him for his service. That's a glorious identity. I'm not defined by my sexuality. I'm not defined by my relationship status. I'm not defined by my job. I'm not defined by the color of my skin. I'm not defined by my religion. I'm not defined um, by my education. All of these identities that our culture puts onto us. If we say, go back, where did I come from? I came from the breath of God who breathed into me and said, live. And because of that, my identity is to be his servant and, yes, his child. And because I know where I come from, I understand the value that God has put upon me, that he's loved all of mankind and everyone who he gives breath to, he loves and says, you're special, unique and different. And if I know where I'm from, I begin to unpack the gifts that he's given me. And through my experiences and through all the things that have shaped me, I begin to discover who I am and how, as I look back over my life, I've seen the development of gifts through the opportunities that God has placed in my life, through the things that I've seen him use me for that have become fruitful. I can say, oh, this is who I am. But the big difference between us and Jesus, not only in understanding that we're not pre-existent, that life was breathed into us, but is that as I know where I've come from, I'm forced onto my knees in humility and adoration and submission to the God who is greater than I. And I think that kind of humility is really important in life. That God has made me. I am not the wisest, cleverest, most powerful being in creation. I am a, 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 a created being by the one who knows greater than me. And so I live my life in humility to the God who is greater than me. So some questions for reflection at this point. What difference does it make to us that God has purposed life for us? What difference does it make to you and I? How do we live life differently, knowing that we're not random, we're not accidental, we're not just something that happened, we're something that God has purposed?
How does that affect our identity? Do we perceive and label ourselves in terms of sexuality or, or relationship status or job status or skills and qualifications or talents and abilities or, or race? Or can we label ourselves simply as a child and servant of God? And what are our gifts? And are we aware of the value God puts on us? And to unpack that last question, we're going to go to the second aspect of what, how Jesus defines himself. He says, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. So Jesus knows his future. His future is to return to heaven. John 7, 33, I am with you only for a short time and then I go to the one who sent me. John 13, verse 3, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and he'd come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows his future. And because he knows his future, he has confidence that death would not be the end. Yes, in Gethsemane, he grieves for the pain that he's about to go through, but he knows that it will triumph. And therefore, he has the strength to go through the suffering that is before him because he knows the joy in life awaiting him. He knows what was to come, and it helps him focus and go through the pain. He goes through the trials he knew would be coming because he knew of the eternal joy and life that had awaited him. And he was prepared to make the sacrifices that he knew that were needed. He was prepared to be, have a crown of thorns. He was prepared to be whipped. He was prepared to be ridiculed. He was prepared to be abandoned. He was prepared to die a slow, agonizing death because he knew where he was going. Now, the reason that I've done all of this is because later in this chapter, which we will pick up in future studies, Jesus was really concerned that his listeners didn't know where they were going. John 8, 21, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Now, lest we feel, that's scary. Is he saying nobody can go to heaven? Let's pick it up because he clarifies it in John 20, uh, three verses later. I told you you would die in your sins. This is 8.24. If you do not believe that I am he, if. Always see the word if. Whenever God says this is going to happen, there's always an if. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. So Jesus is saying to the crowd, you don't know where you're going and you need to deal with it. You need to address it because at the moment you're going to die in your sins and you need to change that destination. You need to see where you're currently heading and change where you could be going. And so in the final part of our study, I want to ask the question, are we sure where we're going and can we be sure? Well, again and again, Jesus wants to give those who are following him this certainty and assurance that they can know. Perhaps one of the most famous verses in the Bible, which we looked at again in quite some depth with two studies earlier on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's the way Jesus spoke about himself, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, whoever, whoever. We've looked at this before. Jesus says, if you accept me 
as your Lord, the one you follow, the one you obey, the one you serve, and the last two studies looked at all what that looked like in reality, and you accept me as your Savior, the one who died in, my, in, in your place on the cross as a sacrifice for your failure, if you accept me as Lord and Savior, you can know where you're going. And it's important for us to have that assurance. And I know that there are many of us that question ourselves and say, hey, you know, have I really believed enough? Have I uh, made enough effort to be a Christian? The good news is that Jesus is dying to save us. When I first heard that, uh, that quote, I loved the idea. He is dying to save us. He wants to save you. He has come onto earth to save you. He is not looking for a small print way to exclude you. He's not looking for a way to, to get away with the least people in heaven as possible. He is looking for a way to have the most people in heaven as possible. He is looking that you might turn to him. And you only need to turn to him for a moment and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Will you come into my life? And he will never let us go. Now, we may have strayed and wandered and fallen and sinned and done all kinds of things since we asked him into our life, but he hasn't let us go. So we can know where we're going. And if we know where we're going, it will affect the present. Because the confidence that you and I are loved and forgiven is really important to hold on to. Jesus has come to demonstrate it, to prove it. He dies on the cross so that you and I might not say, did he love me? But we would say, wow, look how much he loved me. And this confidence that we are loved and forgiven, Jesus wants us to have that there may be no more fear in death. We may fear leaving some people behind too early. We may fear the pain of some forms of dying. But we do not fear what is on the other side. We do not fear leaving this earth. We do not fear going through the doorway to a better life. Do we know where we're going? Because it will free us. And it will enable us to invest in the future rather than the present. In, in other words, it will enable us to invest in people who we can inspire, encourage, and take with us into heaven rather than things that will remain dead and buried when we go. Not to build all our lives around stuff, but to build our lives around people and to invest in loving others. And if we know where we're going, it will enable us to face, have the strength to face the trials, the trials of pandemics, the trials of persecution, the trials of disappointment, the trials of ill health, the trials of all kinds of struggles that we see are not the end, but a hurdle over which we will get and that something more precious and beautiful lies the other side. And if we know where we're going, we are willing to make sacrifices for Jesus because we are his servants and we want to serve him and our lives are given over to his mission and his calling and his purposes and it's worth it because we know where we're going. And so, as we wrap it up, what difference does confidence in the cross 
and our future make. In other words, we have confidence about the future because we have confidence of what the cross of Jesus is saying. It's saying we are loved, that we are forgiven, and that death is defeated. So what difference does it make to our fears? What difference does it make to our plans? What difference does it make to our reliance on God rather than other things? And what difference does it make to our service? Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, help us to realize where we've come from, that we've been called into life and shaped and influenced for this time. And help us to know where we're going, that what lies beyond death is worth the sacrifices of this life. Lord, help us to know that we're loved and help us to love. Help us to know that we're called and help us to know that how we can serve. Help us to know our future and feel safe and secure in your love. A reminder of our first questions. What difference does it make to us that God has purposed life for us? What is our identity? What are our gifts? And are we aware of the value God puts on us? Father, help us to live in your love and be different because of it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.